0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. KT Tunstall performs live this Sunday at the State Theater in Falls Church, Virginia. We spoke about her biggest hits from Suddenly I See to Black Horse and The Cherry Tree, as well as overcoming hearing loss to record a trilogy of albums about mind, body, and soul. Hi, Jason. is Katie, how are you? Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to call into WTOP. Of course. It's great to talk to you. Now we're talking because you're coming to the state theater in Falls Church, Virginia, this Sunday, March 13th. Where where are you calling us from?
1: I'm calling you from sunny Los Angeles. Oh, cross country. So I'm going to be getting my winter coat out (laughs) out of a bag in my garage to make sure I'm okay coming over. How is it over there? Uh, you know what?
0: It's actually as of like this past weekend, it actually started warming up a little bit. So it won't be oh, too lovely. much different from from your California. It won't be quite California. But, you know, it, it warmed up a little bit for you for your
1: trip. Well, here. I always love coming east. It's great fun and seeing everybody. And it's always a great night.
0: Well, what can we expect expect from the show? Um, I guess all the old hits, anything new you've been working on?
1: yeah so i've got a new record coming out um at some point this year we're just pinpointing the dates but i've been working on a trilogy of albums for the last seven years and uh, it's on a based on soul body and mind so the brain the brain record is about to come out and finish the trilogy so i'm definitely playing a, a couple of songs from that new songs that aren't released yet um, but it's a solo show, so I love doing my solo show. It's just me with all my crazy gadgets, so that I basically sound like a band, even though it's me, just me on stage.
0: Well, yeah, that's what you've you really became famous for there. That sort of that one person band there with that all that. Um, but real real quick, I wanted to touch on something you mentioned. You said sort of it completes the mind, the soul, body, mind trilogy. So was yeah was soul was soul the kin
1: album, and then body was exactly. waxed and now this is yeah mind? exactly yeah that's exactly right. So I I. I just thought what what amazing subjects to cover in terms of like thematic records you know of just there it's just endlessly fascinating material in each of those and to do the soul one and then you know and then i was doing the body one thinking it's so crazy that we're this these existential beings just driving around in meat cars <laughs> these right. weird meat suits you know and then the mind and during the 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 Soul record, Kin in 2016, my life just my life completely changed. I'd got divorced, my father had passed, I moved to America, you know, I changed my life completely. And then during the Wax, the Body record, halfway through that tour, I lost my hearing. So oh. I completely lost hearing on one side of my uh, head, on my left side, which hasn't come back. Oh wow! So I had to kind of deal with that, which was so weird when I was making a, you know, playing a record about the body. And then I'm thinking, oh man, what's going to happen when I make the mind record? (laughs) I'm going to lose my mind. And then the whole world lost its mind. You know, the the pandemic hit just as I was starting to make it. And everybody went through this, you know, this kind of real challenge to our mental health. It was just, it's been a really crazy ride.
0: Oh, you you said it perfectly. These last two years have challenged the the soul, body, and mind more more than anything. Really,
1: and I mean, yeah, exactly. Those... And I think ultimately, you know, the trilogy is sort of like my own self help book. <laughs> it's kind of been very therapeutic, like diving into these personal subjects, and um, and in some ways, it's like it's 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 kind of cool having this soundtrack to becoming quite a different person at the end of all of this you know
0: absolutely like yeah li- like literally like physically One, you know here hearing yeah. is, is one side out of one ear now i mean it's a completely a transformation for you do you yeah i mean if you don't mind take me into a little bit of what what that's like like to to be when you know not only when you're singing did, did it initially sound different to you did it sound weird to hear your oh. hear, hear, only hear yourself half and then playing music it, back like it's it's totally different now
1: It sounded so gross at first. It was really hard. Like so, I was on tour. I'd had tinnitus and a little bit of top end hearing loss for about ten years, but it had just been totally stable, and it wasn't from anything. I think it was just from overdoing it. You know, just from from stressing out my nervous system from touring too hard and working too hard, and um, I was just in the middle of a tour, and it wasn't anything specific. I just woke up on the tour bus one morning and I wear earplugs when I'm on the bus and took my earplugs out and I was like, whoa, there's, there's no difference. I feel like the earplug is still in my ear. Mm. Um, and at first, so I, I always hated listening to music with just one earphone in. I never, you know, when you see people who are kind of on the, on the train or, you know, walking along just listening on one ear, I was like, oh, how do people do that? It sounds so bad. And, and then that's what I was left with. And at first, everything sounded super tinny, like the whole world sounded like it was coming through this, you know, the speaker system in an airport. It was just like, oh, no, this is awful. And I remember asking the specialist, like, should I rest? Should I hide myself away and and not expose myself to too much noise? And I got the best piece of advice ever. And he said, no, do go out and live the noisiest craziest life you want to live because your brain has to get used to what you want to do and if it gets used to you being a hermit everything's going to be hard and i thought oh man so i had to kind of force myself i was in new york at the time and i had to force myself out in on the streets of new york in november with a foot of snow and everyone screaming and car horns and i would find that i was just like passing out every hour i would need to sleep for like 10 minutes because it was just so much for my body and then it took probably about three months and i really just my brain and body just recalibrated and and now i'm you know a couple of years later i'm well more than that now but i'm back to playing recording making records it's all good it's definitely different, but it's I can do everything I could do before. Wow!
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. it's sort of your new new normal now. New I've normal. Heard. The only
1: thing that's really annoying, and 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 my boyfriend and friends all make fun of me, is I can't locate anything. So you lose your locational hearing. Oh, so you like don't more, like yeah. dolphins echolocation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if we're at Disneyland together and you're calling my name, I have no idea where you are. <laughs> and so that's so if I lose my phone, I'm stumped. Like I can call it and I have no idea where it is.
0: Wow. I never even yeah. thought about that. Yeah, I, mean, I know. You went you went from stereo to mono and I am now you're now trying to figure it Katie
1: out. But... Exactly.
0: Wow. But by the way, so I'm also a movie critic here at our station. Oh, and <laughs> no tell tell me, yeah, tell me you've seen it came out like two years ago. Sound of metal. Sound of
1: metal. Yeah. I watched that when it came out because it came out just it was in the that Oscar season, right? Um, and I remember kind of going in with some trepidation thinking it was going to it was going to be pretty hard to watch and actually it made me really grateful cuz my younger brother was actually born profoundly deaf so he can't mm. hear in either ear and we're not biologically related so it it's not a it you know it's not a a hereditary thing or anything but i remember when i told dan my brother about it and he just like played this little violin and was like oh poor you you can't hear in one ear <laughs> <laughs> because being totally deaf is just a completely different world it's just it's not even comparable because I can still do everything that I did and so so watching that movie which I thought you know Razamed was amazing in, um it really shows you what happens when you completely lose that sense and you're cut off and so I was just very very grateful that I still I was still able to do everything I could do before Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Between, between Sound and Metal and then obviously CODA this year, trying to do an, an Oscar upset. I mean, it's, it's, we're starting to deal with, with the, the idea of hearing versus deaf communities and and, and it's, yeah. yeah, I'm glad we're finally so, going I mean, there in society.
1: Yeah, me too. And it's really interesting because as I said, I grew up with it. So my brother had a cochlear implant when he was 23, which is really old. Usually it's, you you know, a kid will have it. Um, And there's a lot of, um, there's definitely a lot of controversy in the deaf community around cochlear implants because they, many deaf people don't want to feel like there's anything needing fixing. They're happy deaf and they were born deaf and that's the way they are, which I completely understand. Um, it's just hard because they're living in a hearing world, you know? Yeah. So it's um, it's a really fascinating uh, kind of, in, I think, disability in general, you know, in ter- and it really comes down to a lot of... Um, I think a lot of acceptance and a lot of understanding and asking questions and and as an able-bodied person, speaking to someone who has a disability and asking them about it,
0: you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you mentioned your your brother real quick. I I love to chart sort of your your you know your musical journey here. So I know you're born yeah. in Edinburgh, Scotland in yeah. the seventies, and but and you were adopted by um, David Tunstall, who was a physics yeah. lecturer, right? And, and your mom, <laughs> yeah. Rosemary, was a school teacher. Just tell me about sort of growing up um, in Scotland, and and I guess it was also in in California. Some of your earliest memories too,
1: right? For sure. So I, thank you for doing the research. It's amazing. <laughs> That's my job. Um. Yeah, it was it was a it was a really interesting melting pot of a family because I was definitely the black sheep when it came to music and being a being a creative because my parents were very academic. Um, but the really cool thing about my mom and dad was that they which maybe sometimes doesn't happen in a biological family was that they didn't know where me and my older brother were from. We were both adopted. They didn't know what our talents were going to be. They didn't know what we were going to like. So they were really sensitive about that. So they would just let us try anything. So if we wanted to go and try out badminton or trampolining or you know we were very lucky in that they 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 kind of encouraged whatever it was that we were interested in and and I kind of got into theater when I was really young so a lot for a long time I thought I would be an actress
0: oh like school Um, plays and stuff
1: yeah and like little kind of musical productions and stuff and (laughs) um and then I got to like 15 and I was like, wait a minute, I don't want to be saying someone else's words and I don't want anyone telling me what to do. So that was when I decided I would be a musician <laughs> instead of an actress. But yeah, my dad had got a sabbatical over to UCLA. So we moved to LA in 1979 for a year. And that, that was, I guess, because of this like complete change of, of scenery That was when my memory started. So my first memories are of California living, you know, 10 minutes away from where I live now, actually. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. You kind of came full circle moving back. Came back.
1: Yeah. I returned. I think it imprinted on me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Those early memories, something something inside you made you want to return. Definitely. Um, But yeah, so you did the Scotland and California thing. um, You know, growing up, but then you didn't went. By the time you graduate high school, you're in Connecticut and you're busking around Burlington, Vermont. You know, home of home of Bernie Sanders, I think. Burlington. Exactly. Yeah. But. To, memories of just sort of those early busking days. Yeah, you know, everyone loves to hear that, you know, starving artists rags to riches, sort of, sort of before you become famous yeah. sort of stories. But what was it like well, busking around New England? It
1: was It was totally true. I'd started busking in Scotland and then gone down and done a little bit in London. Some of my friends in my local town in St. Andrews had done that, done that for years. And that was how they, that's how they existed. They just, they played on the street and they made money. Um, and it was very bohemian and it was very, um, it was basically just a super low-fi life where you just, you didn't have new clothes or go to restaurants or take vacations. It was just kind of hand to mouth, scrapping by and, and loving being a musician. And I really, really loved that life. Even though it was, even though it was not, you know, even though it was frugal and uh, there wasn't spare money, I really, really enjoyed it. It felt very, I felt very alive, it felt very present and it felt full of passion because we were all just making music. Um, and then I got a scholarship over to do my senior year of high school, weirdly, in this like super posh boarding school called Kent in Connecticut. And, um, and that was kind of where I first started going to gigs because where I grew up, it was very, very kind of secluded and a, a, a good bus ride away from any city. So <clears throat> I remember going to see The Grateful Dead and going to see Fish and going to see, I saw Van Morrison and Annie DeFranco and, you know, all this. And I had my first band at that school. Um, and it just, I think playing on the street really teaches you that it's your job to engage an audience. I get kind of I get kind of like worked up a bit when I see buskers playing on the street and they have an amp and they're like turned up to number eleven. <laughs> I'm like you're missing you're missing the opportunity of learning how to engage people without forcing them to listen to you. And I think that that's a really good skill. <clears throat> of you've got to be good enough to make people stop and listen because they're not paying to see you. And they're not. And if you're not using amplification, you can't like just blast their face off. Right. You have to invite them in with your actual talent. You have to be good. You have to be entertaining. And um and that was that really honed my skills a lot for for playing live. And I mean, I started. I took up guitar when I was 15. So I I learned piano and flute and I'd taken like classical lessons. But I just taught myself guitar and didn't didn't have singing lessons and just did that all kind of myself which i really liked because i liked i I like not having anyone telling me what to do (laughs) (laughs) and so um but you know if, if someone had said when sat me down when i was 15 and said listen girl you're gonna make it but it's gonna take your whole life this far again it's gonna take you another 15 years before you get a deal i would have been like wow that's that's a long time um, but I did it, and I'm I'm so proud. There was there wasn't a lot of belief around me that it was going to work, so I I had to dig deep a lot of that time to just have self belief that it was that I was good enough to to make it. Well, I'm glad I get, you believed get, in yourself. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get my record deal till I was 29. So 29. All right, so you're 29
0: yeah. when um the British label Relentless Records signed you for that debut album. It's called Eye to the Telescope in 2004. Obviously, the the title obviously a callback to you know I guess your dad's physics lab there. Yeah, the for sure. He
1: just he would like get us up in the middle of the night if there was something astral happening. And we would just all in our pajamas, bail into the car. And I remember like seeing Halley's comet through the telescope. He had the keys to the telescope, uh, to the observatory. And I was just, you know, eight years old, just going, what the hell? Like there's (laughs) stuff in the sky. (laughs) Makes you feel Uh, small, man. Yeah, it was. And I kind of liked that. Like I've always, ever since being a kid, and I guess with my dad's kind of, you know, cosmic stewardship, I've always enjoyed that feeling of feeling small. It's like, wow, I it doesn't really matter what I do, you know. But then it does, and just always, I think it keeps you humble, and it, but it also, you know, makes you feel part of something bigger.
0: Right, exactly. Exactly. Well, we have to, my listeners will kill me if I don't mention we got to mention the two massive <laughs> massive songs that came off of that album. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess first tell me about writing Black Horse in the Cherry Tree. I mean, Jeez. with that woohoo.
1: <laughs> I know, that was a crazy story. So, most people sort of are, you know, popping champagne and incredibly excited when they sign their record deal. I was actually kind of really depressed. <laughs> When I signed my record deal because I'd spent a long time. Part of the reason I signed my deal so late was because I didn't really want to sign a record deal. I wanted to stay independent and all my kind of Bohemian music friends that I had in Scotland were kind of quite anti record label because it was kind of signing your soul away. And so it was which it kind of can be if you sign the wrong deal. You know, it's they're making money and you're making art. It's never going to be a super harmonious relationship. Um, unless you just want to make money and then it's great. <laughs> but I was always wanting to kind of do my own thing and not necessarily do the thing that was going to make the most money. And, you know, so so Black Horse was kind of like a very automatic writing response to feeling very conflicted about signing this deal. It was kind of like, I felt like I was signing a deal with the devil. <laughs> and then, um, and and the thing was that the record, I made the record and the record was finished but I wrote Black Horse after the record was finished and I'm thinking oh this is gonna get this is the single for the second record in the back you know and uh, and then I got the call to go on Jules Holland at uh, the tv show which is like an amazing holy grail tv show for musicians in the UK
0: it's on the BBC and- I think Yeah,
1: exactly. And I was they have like five, five or six different artists on per show. And Nas, the rapper, had pulled out and they asked if I wanted to take the spot as a new artist. I was like, yes, definitely. But we only
0: had like 24 hours in advance, right?
1: Exactly. So I had to like jump in a van, get down to London. And the other artists on that show were Anita Baker, Jackson Brown and The Cure.
0: Oh my gosh! Talk it was pressure. crazy,
1: and so and then and so I'd written this new song, and my label boss said to me, "Play that weird horse song, the woohoo song." And I was like, "But it's not on the record." He said, "Don't worry about it. Trust me. Play that song." <laughs> and so I played that song, and it went crazy. And we, the first ten thousand copies of Eyes of the Telescope, have the audio of the Jules Holland show on it because we didn't have a recording.
0: Oh wow! And, and so it was just rush. you. It was just you, the one, you know, the one man band thing we're talking. about. Yeah, with the it was just with, with my
1: one, my just my loop pedal. But because, because we had to kind of rush release, because I would got that opportunity, we literally didn't have a recording of it. So the first ten thousand copies of that record are 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 really valuable because they've got they've got a different um, version of Black Horse on them, and it's just live a live feed audio from the TV show.
0: It's like a collector's item. It's just you, the, exactly. it, a, a guitar, a tambourine, and your loop pedal up
1: there. And my loop pedal, yeah, exactly. Wow! Wow!
0: Yeah. So, so there was no one in the audience wanted you to do Nas's Illmatic or anything.
1: I mean, I should have, right? <laughs> <laughs> what I should have done is I should have done a mashup with an with a Nas track and uh, done a breakdown with rap in it, but I just didn't have time, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> no, I, th- I think it, I think you chose right. I think I think it all worked out. Yeah. But um, real, real quick, by the way, I, I want to ask about Suddenly I See you in a second. But real quick, when, when you're doing that loop pedal thing, like d- describe it for like maybe a layman or like our listeners, yeah. like how, how exactly is that done? Because I think I, I've seen other people, you know, Ed Sheeran, <laughs> you see other people do it. But like it's, it always yeah. blows my mind.
1: It's really, really simple and it's really, really cool. And so it's called a loop pedal. And basically you have a little box at your feet and two buttons. And the left button records and the right button, you, you stop recording and it plays. So basically you can get, there's loads of different ones. Some of them you can save stuff. Some of them will make it in time for you. I like using a really old school one that has no features. You're, you're literally pressing a button, playing something, it records it, and as soon as you hit that play button, it just plays back exactly what you just played. So when I press record, I'd seen people do it like playing guitar and looping guitar parts, and I'd seen people using their voice, but my eureka moment was I'd never seen anyone bash their guitar and use it as a drum kit. And I thought, surely if I just hit my guitar, it's going to sound like a drum kit. I did that and it sounded terrible. And so I ended up like doing this really weird spaghetti junction thing where I could use an equalizer and a little bit of a little desk at my feet so I could basically equal EQ the sound to sound like a drum kit. Hmm. And, and then I was off, off and away. And so you, can, you, you put the beat in, then you can put some percussion in, then you can layer over it with some backing vocals. Um, it's super fun. And it's just and the reason I like using a simple one is that anybody watching can understand what's going on, because if it gets too complicated, you might as well just be playing a backing track. You know, people need to see what you're doing. And I get it wrong all the time. And it's like people's favorite part of the show is when I mess up. <laughs> They're like, yeah, it means you you're there, the you're seeing something song. raw and real, you know, well, so. it's live, it's real and it's yeah. not going to happen the same way the next night. And for, it keeps me on my toes. And definitely for this new record, the new record about the brain is it's a lot of percussive patterns because I wanted to kind of represent all the pattern learning of the brain. So I'm going to definitely have to add some add some fun stuff to my box of tricks for the next album.
0: So the loop pedal and everything will be there at the state. Definitely. Table. Okay great
1: she's definitely coming for sure
0: <laughs> definitely bringing it's a she for sure um well for sure as, long well- as
1: if if you guys can supply the power and the socket, then we can do the gig.
0: <laughs> All right, bring the power in the socket, State Theater. Katie Dunstall's ready. Um, well, real quick, as promised, I have to ask about. Suddenly, I see because I was off the same same album, also off of Eye to the Telescope. Um, it was. It's obviously it's this female empowerment. It's been played in political campaigns yeah. and everything. But it was wasn't. It, it was a tribute to Patty Smith, right?
1: Yeah, it was a really amazing experience writing that song because it's literally just the whole song is about the Robert Maplethorpe photograph of Patti Smith on the cover of Horses. I was just sitting in my basement apartment in London looking at this album cover that I'd seen many times before, but I'm just listening to Gloria watching, looking at this photo and it was just this gaze from Patty where she's not trying, she's just being, and she's, she's almost kind of challenging you from that photo, from the gaze, just going, who are you? What are you bringing to the table? <laughs> and I, you know, at that point I, my record wasn't out and I was just, I'd been trying for so long. And the trying in itself is just kind of exhausting. You know, you want to be doing, you want to just be being, you don't want to be trying to persuade other people and trying to get people to come to your shows to see you so they can sign you, you know? And so I just was like, that's, that's what I want to be. I want to be a woman just being and doing. Um, and I just, and, and I, I think it would be very interesting to put a collection together of songs that have, been, that have been inspired by photographs because I think they're a very powerful medium
0: Oh, that is such a cool story that you. it was the the photo of Patty Smith and her eyes were basically daring you like, all right, what you got? Bring it. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's an amazing picture. And I think so interesting that the picture is taken by her dear, dear friend, because when someone takes a picture of you that you don't know, you look at the camera. But if someone that you know is taking your picture, you're looking at them. Right. So you're looking through the camera at the person, and I think that that can always kind of give you a, a deeper result.
0: Very, very cool. Well, cool. Well, I know. Um, yeah. I mean, and of course, here here in the states, you know, suddenly I see was on the Devil Wears Prada and Black Horse was you know covered on American Idol, and it's just you're yeah. off to the races at that point. Everybody absolutely. Knows you point. So, um, yeah, you know, and you're hey, great- I'm
1: get I'm gonna get to play those songs in the white house at the end of april wait what seriously i'm playing the correspondent the white house Correspondents' dinner whoa that's i incredible. know and so all the way from a little basement apartment in in london to the white house so that cool, so cool.
0: <laughs> well wait who, so who's cool. who's hosting it don't they usually have a comedian hosting it
1: they do and i don't know who it is yet so that should be, it'll be really fun. I'm I'm part of the creative coalition, which is um, an LA based organization that basically helps raise funds for the arts. So I'm, I'm going, I'm going as their guest, um, but can't wait. It's just, but it's so cool when you have these amazing, these, these amazing things, songs that just take you on these adventures. It's like, they are now taking me on adventures. I wrote it and it doesn't belong to me anymore. And they're like, they're like rudolph pulling the slate i'm like <laughs> where are we going and uh you know we played played new year's eve in Times square at the and end of you'll Last be on the Service. island of misfit toys <laughs> just crazy yeah exactly just crazy
0: wow well really i just real- an
1: amazing experience
0: i just looked it up i think it's trevor noah hosting it that's a big oh view. is it wow i awesome. think so uh at the course at the correspondence dinner, yeah, I don't know, but that's at. Let me see. It says at the Washington Hilton. Is that different from the White House event you're talking about?
1: I'm not. I have no idea. I haven't. All right. Been well, I, I'm I pretty sure it's all. It's probably all part yet. of the same
0: thing. I think he's hosting. Yeah, you might be performing. I'm sure, it is. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Awesome. Well, that's that's great. Well, I really appreciate you joining us. I mean, we could spend here forever going through all your albums. We could. But, and but, um, thank
1: you yeah. so much. It's been a lovely interview night. It's always so nice that you that you look into the backstory. Um, it makes for great conversation.
0: Well, it'd be boring if I didn't know any of this stuff. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but everyone check out, you know, Drasty Fantastic, Tiger Suit, and Empire Empire*, Crescent Moon. And that, bring- that brings us all the way up to the trilogy you're talking about. Yeah. 10, Max, and-, and
1: what's the new one called? What's the mind one called? I haven't said yet. It's still a surprise. So mm-hmm. I will be sharing that very soon
0: all right well we'll look out for that and uh everyone come check out kt tunstall at the state theater in falls church virginia this sunday march 13th so get your tickets now hey thanks so much for doing this this is great
1: pleasure i'll see everyone at the theater thank you so much all right bye take care bye
0: thanks so much for joining us on beyond the fame with jason fraley remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear we'll see you next time